The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen. All right, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. And Jesus is telling a series of stories. We're in the last week of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry. Even though we're in Matthew 21, we got all the way to Matthew chapter 28. That's a lot of chapters. A third of the Gospel of Matthew is devoted to one week, his last week. And so we read Jesus is, you know, he's battling with some of the religious leaders of 2,000 years ago. And here's what he says. He tells a parable, verse 33, Matthew 21, verse 33. Hear or listen to another parable. A parable is a story with a heavenly meaning. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers, and then he went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, and they beat one, and then they killed one, and then they stoned another. So again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. And then last of all, he finally sent his son to them, saying, well, surely they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And so they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. So in this parable, Jesus is using a story about a vineyard. I'm going to show you a few pictures. You can start with this. God gives many material and spiritual blessings and asks only that we bear fruit for His glory. We're going to see that this parable, in this parable, the householder is God the Father. The Son is obviously the Lord Jesus Christ, and the farmers are a picture of Israel. The servants that are sent to them are the prophets of ancient Israel. And we're going to bring, a, you know, a, an application to our lives. God has blessed us with spiritual blessings, material blessings, and He's looking for something, and that is fruit. But I want to show you some pictures. These are actually uh, some pictures of vineyards in modern Israel. It's a very fertile land, especially in the north. And when God had delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, 400 years of slavery. He said, I'm going to take you to your own land, a land I promise, a land that I will bless, a land that will be rich with milk and honey. And, and he said, all I ask that when you go there, that you walk with me, that you know me, and that you bear fruit. And so in the story, God would send, you know, servants uh, to go check on whether there was fruitfulness, and they killed the, the, the servants, those were the prophets, the Old Testament prophets God would send to the nation of Israel, which was His vineyard, and they would take their lives. Now, all of this is based on uh, literally a story in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Jesus didn't just pull this story out of the air, it was actually in their prophets. In Isaiah chapter 5, it says this in verse 1, Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding 
his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard than I have not done to it? Why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. You remember that right before this parable of the you know, vineyard, Jesus is saying, he just literally hours before was hungry. He went up to a fig tree. He wanted figs, and it had no figs. And what did Jesus do to the fig tree? He cursed it. There should have been figs. That was also symbolic of the nation. Here, what the, God sent his servants, the prophets, and the Jewish people killed them. Now, finally, God has sent his son. Jesus is telling a parable about a wealthy landowner who finally sends his son. And Jesus is the son in the story. He's telling them. And they are, you know, in the story, they kill, plot and kill the son. That very week, they're plotting to kill Jesus. And he was making a connection to them. And he wanted to find fruit there. He wanted to find good fruit. Instead, he found wild, wild olives and wild grapes and fruit. Instead of honoring and receiving the son, the men cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus was crucified outside the gate. He was rejected by the nation, except for the remnant. Not all the Jews, because there were the disciples and the apostles, and they were Jewish, and the church would begin with them. But I want to bring, so that was what Jesus is doing and saying to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But I want to bring an application to you and I. God has also blessed us. God has blessed you. The very, you know, the fact that you are sitting in this place right here, right now, at this time, you're blessed. You're among some of the most blessed people on the planet. I mean, it's a fact. And God has given us many material blessings. God has given us many spiritual blessings. But along with all the blessings God has blessed us with comes responsibility. And what God is looking for in an individual is their fruit in your life. What God would look for a nation is their fruit in that nation's life. And what kind of fruit is it producing? Now, interestingly, Jesus shared something interesting in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, and it's right here. Let's read this out loud. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, let's go and read this as well. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. God is looking for fruit. He's looking for fruit in your life. What, what is the fruit that God is looking for with all the blessings He's given to you? Uh, the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, forbearance. All the fruit of the Spirit should be, you know, growing and building and multiplying in our lives individually and as a nation. So as a nation, we need to inspect our tree. Is there fruit? And what kind of fruit is a good fruit? And individually, we should be inspecting our lives. And what Jesus said is, I am the vine, you are the branches, the branches attached to the vine. And you will bring forth fruit. And he goes, every branch I have that is bearing fruit, I will prune it. Now, Vicki and I have lived now for uh, close, going on 15 years, we live in Escondido. We happen to buy, uh, we've got about an acre of land. It's got a lot of fruit trees on it. Number one, it's got about a dozen orange trees. And I've got to tell you that it produces, because I guess we're in San Diego and we got all this sun pretty much year round. It has oranges on it year round. There, and there is nothing like, I'm telling you, going outside to my own orange trees, pulling the oranges off the tree, filling up a couple of bags, going in, juicing them, putting it into a pitcher. After you put it into the pitcher, you put it into the refrigerator, and overnight, magic happens. It gets chilled, and you bring that pitcher out the next morning, and you drink orange juice that just came off the tree, you know, yesterday. You are tasting heaven, I'm telling you right now. It's heaven. It's incredible. But one of the things I do occasionally is, um, is to go out and, and, you know, there's not a lot of the trees, but still a dozen, and, and there's all these branches, and all of a sudden springtime comes, boom, it's got all these branches, all these leaves, but not all of the branches have fruit. So what I like to go through is I look at the branches, I look at them, and some of them look great, and they're big, and they're healthy, and they're strong, and the leaves are green and vibrant. But if it doesn't have any fruit on it, guess what I do? I chop it off, or I cut it off. I prune it. Because no matter how good it looks on the outside, I am not going to let any of that rich, nourishing sap go to what is called a sucker branch. A sucker branch sucks all the life and the juice and the nutrients, but it ain't bearing fruit. I'm chopping it off. Why? Because I want every ounce of that life, strength, nourishment, sap to go to the branches that got all those oranges. Because you know what happens when they get all that juice? They get bigger, juicier, and sweeter to the taste. Hallelujah. So I prune. So the Lord does in our lives. If you've got something in your life, and it may look good on the outside, but it's not connected to the Holy Spirit. It's not really bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace in your life. The Lord and the Holy Spirit's going to chop it off, and it's okay. Let it go. You don't need a sucker branch. There's things that are sucking your time and your energy and your mind and stuff. Cut them off. Be pruned, because he wants therefore to, there to be fruit, healthy, good fruit in our lives. Amen? Okay, so where the bearing of fruit, where does it come from? Yeah, okay, so I'm Jesus the vine, I'm a branch, I'm bearing fruit, fruit of the Spirit, I want to bear more fruit. How do you do it? The bearing of fruit comes out of having a relationship with the Son. 
Relationship brings the fruit. Relationship, uh, it's called abiding. That's what we just read in John 15. Abiding means relationship. The more that you interact with the Lord, and I want to say this as simply, plainly, and directly, boldly, and in modern English as I can. Relationship is about you personally being able to hear the voice of the Lord. You can hear the voice of the Lord. Number one, if you're saved, that proves you heard the voice of the Lord because he's the one that stood at the door of your heart and he knocked and he said, if you hear my voice, open the door. You open the door, apparently you heard his voice. So if you're saved, you heard his voice. But sometimes we're like, okay, I'm saved, and then we just cruise on and we can be religious and have a lot of outward looking good stuff, but we're not really growing, we're not really abiding, we're not really in relationship with him. And it can happen to a nation. It happened with Israel. We need to look at our own times. And so it's interesting. Look, uh, let's read verses 40 through 47. We'll finish the story Jesus started to tell. It says, so after it says they sent the son and they killed him. In verse 40, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus is talking to this group of religious leaders, what do you think he will do to those vine dressers? And they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render him the fruits in their seasons. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, I mean, they, they were right. Jesus said, I'm talking about you guys. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the Scripture the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. He was. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Now, what's interesting here is that, you know, tell the story, and then they kill the son. Jesus says, what do you think will happen? And they say, oh, man, they're gonna, he's going to destroy those wicked guys, and then he'll give it, you know, turn it over to those who will bear the fruits. And Jesus says, therefore, it's going to be taken from you and given to a nation that will bear fruit. And I believe the nation that is being referred to is later going to be translated the church, which in Greek is ekklesia. And it's made up of both Jew and Gentile. And that's what is coming. That's what the Lord's going to do. But what's interesting is Jesus quotes here where it says, the stone which the builders rejected, he's quoting a psalm, Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That Psalm 118 is a, what the rabbis called a messianic psalm. It's talking about the coming of the Messiah. And right now, Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders who are rejecting Jesus, rejecting the Son, rejecting, therefore, the Messiah. And by rejecting the Messiah, Jesus quotes a Psalm 118 that says, your rejection of me, I'm the Son, I am the Messiah, and your rejecting me was predicted and prophesied hundreds of years ago in the days of David, King David, thousand years earlier, whatever. Isn't that amazing? 
So he was prophesying. Now, here's what's also interesting. Quoting Psalm 118, this is the last week of Jesus' life. Well, the week started with Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, Jesus sat on a little donkey on the top of the Mount of Olives, and the people started waving palm branches and shouting and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, they didn't just make that up. They're quoting a psalm. Guess which psalm they were quoting on Palm Sunday? Psalm 118. The very same psalm. Hosanna in Hebrew means save now, save now. Jesus, you're the king. Deliver us from Rome. Hosanna, you know, bring the kingdom now. Same psalm, messianic psalm. Now, a few days later, another couple of verses, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now, here's what's interesting. Back in the days of King Solomon, remember they were originally going to build the temple. David was the first one. He wanted to build God a temple and, and build God a house. And God said, David, you can't. You're a man of war. I can't let you build me a house, but I'll build you one. It'll be through your family, David, that the ultimate Messiah will come, will come through the house of David. But your son, I'll let him build. Now, you can get all the stuff together and the materials together and the raw materials ready to build it, and then your son Solomon can build it. So Solomon's getting ready to build it. So he had thousands and thousands and thousands of workers who had to quarry stone, this limestone, and they were kind of down over here. And they had their foremen and their crew, and they've got, all, they've got to build every stone and then fit it together. And then way up here on the Temple Mount, you have the, another foreman, and he's putting the stones where they go in the corners and laying out and building the temple. There is a legend among the Jewish people that in the days of King Solomon, at the very beginning when they were quarrying some of the very first stones, they made the chief cornerstone, which is to be laid at the, at the end. But they, they made it. It's unique. It's unlike any other stone in the entire temple. And they sent it up to the other foreman, the guy that was putting all the walls and the thing together in the temple. But there's so many thousands of people there. So they get this stone and they looked at it and they go, well, that, that doesn't fit in this corner. It doesn't fit that wall. It doesn't go to that gate. In fact, it doesn't fit any. We don't know what to do with it. So they went around and they go, what? They asked and they said, we cannot figure out this stone. They probably, I don't know, they made a mistake. What do we do with it? And they said, well, look, it's in the way. And they took it to the top of the hill, and they rolled the stone down the hill to the valley below. It was the, it was the chief cornerstone that they had made. Years go by. Now they're done. They're ready. Solomon has called all the 12 tribes of Israel to come together. We're going to dedicate the temple. We're gonna, we're, God's going to send fire from heaven to light the sacrifice. God's going to come and bring his glory. And they go, okay, guys, the quarry guys, send us the final cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. And they go, what are you talking about? We sent out that out years ago at the beginning of construction. And they're like, what? What? And so they have this big search and they all talk and then somebody, hey, 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 you guys remember years ago, they sent up that stone. We didn't know what it was. It didn't fit. And we threw it over the side of the cliff. And that was the cornerstone. And they said, well, then go find it. 
Years later, all the debris. So the whole nation goes down and they finally found the chief cornerstone and they brought it back. And then before the whole nation, they put it in place, had the dedication, fire came from heaven and lit the sacrifice and the kind of glory came and filled the house of the Lord so they could not stand in the presence of the Lord. That's a legend told by the Jewish people themselves. And Jesus is saying, that's what you did to me. I am the chief cornerstone. But early on, when the chief cornerstone was sent, it didn't fit your theology. It didn't fit your religious conceptions of the kingdom. So you rejected the cornerstone and you threw him off the cliff. But the day will come when you will look for him, search for him, find him, because it won't be complete and he will be brought back. And it, will be, and it was marvelous in the eyes of the Lord. That's where we're living right now. We are living in the days when soon the chief cornerstone will come. Every eye shall see him with power and with glory. He came once as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. It's going to be glorious and powerful. The world will never be the same. So the bearing of fruit comes out of a relationship with the Son. Then Jesus in verse 44 says something interesting. He says, and whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So the Messiah is being likened unto a stone. And I want you to note this, we have a choice. We can either be broken in humble surrender by falling on the stone, which is Christ, and repenting of our sins, and begging God's forgiveness, and seeking His mercy, or if we don't fall and humble ourselves on the chief cornerstone, the stone will fall upon us, and the weight of God's judgment will fall upon us. The choice before these religious leaders is the same choice before every person on planet earth today. Either you will fall on the stone, humble yourself, call upon the name of the Lord, and be saved, or the stone and the kingdom will come in judgment, and you will not survive. So I don't know about you, but I, I'm hoping and believing that the reason you're here on a Sunday morning and a beautiful day in sunny San Diego, California in the month of August is I'm humbling myself on the chief cornerstone. Amen? Amen. And I want to be right with Him and know Him and love Him. I do want to say this, that uh, God is gracious and God is mercy, merciful and God is slow to anger. But slow to anger doesn't mean He doesn't get angry. And though He is merciful for, you know, to the third and the fourth generation, there does come a time when judgment will come. And man, you do not want to be on the, on the other side of God's judgment. Every nation will be judged. Every individual be, will be judged. It's better to inspect ourselves. Am I with him or not? Am I humble before him or not? Am I recognizing him or not? You, you have to make sure for yourself. No, you can't. Your parents can't do it for you. Your family can't. Your friends can't do it for you. You individually have to say, no, I know who he is. I acknowledge who you are. I'm with Jesus and identify with him. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and we're going to do that in just a moment uh, with communion. But I want you to read this scripture with me, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. Let's read this. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, 
the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You know, each week, whether I come or someone else comes and brings a message to you from the Word, this is what is important, the Word of God. It is not just men. It is not men's opinions. It's not men's philosophies. It's not men's reasonings. But as First Thessalonians, Paul said, for this reason, we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not merely as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. God's Word is serious. God's Word is powerful, and we're accountable to His Word. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, let's read this. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Now, look what that says. His divine power, supernatural power, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Listen, everything you need has been given to you through the Word of God, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Everything we need has already been given to us. And you might say, okay, well, where? Where is it that He has given it to us? And it's in the very next verse, First, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Let's read it. By which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's the answer. How has God given to us everything and all things pertaining to life and godliness? Where are they? They are in the promises of God. You could say it this way, God's provision for whatever you need, whatever you lack at any time in your life, God's provision is always in His promises, and His promises are in His Word, His mighty, powerful Word. There are some 7,000 promises in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Did you know that? 7,000 of them. And there's a verse in the New Testament that says, every promise of God in Christ Jesus is yes and amen. In other words, it's like you have a bank account and all 7,000 promises of God are yours. When you claim them and appropriate them and say, that promise is for me, I take that now. Thank you very much, Father. All 7,000 of them. And it reminds me, you remember the story in the Old Testament of Jacob and Jacob's ladder? Jacob was a guy that, by the way, is very relatable. I relate to Jacob a lot. He's a regular, you know, he's not some super spiritual guy. He had a lot of issues. He had a lot of fears. It was very human. Um, he had a problem with his brother, so he had family problems. His brother, he took advantage of him, lied to him. Jacob wasn't a good brother to him, stole the blessing. His brother was so mad, so angry, wanted to kill him. Uh, he had other problems with the other members of his family, and then he had problems with his father-in-law, and he just had a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. And Jacob was the kind of guy that tried to, he didn't really rely on God too much in the beginning. He just kind of did it on his own and worked it out as best he could. And finally, he was so full of anxiety, so full of fear, so full of, oh, my, I, don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> he, he just got tired and went to sleep. You ever do that? 
so anxious, you're like, I don't know what to do, I'm going to sleep. That's what Jacob did, and he got a rock for a pillow. I don't think rocks are very good pillows, but Jacob found a rock, and he made a pillow, and he laid his head down, and then, when he, had a, then he had a dream. He had a dream, and in that dream, what did he see? Right where he was sleeping in the spirit, he saw, and he said, from that ground where that rock pillow was, there was a ladder, and he looked, and the ladder went all the way up, and, and it went all the way into heaven. And then as he saw this ladder that went from where he was sleeping all the way into heaven, he saw angels. Some of them were descending from heaven with assignments from God and then going to the earth and doing their assignments. And others, having done their assignments, were going back up the ladder to get new assignments. And then at the very top of the ladder, he saw the Lord. And the Lord at the top of the ladder in heaven spoke to him, hey, Jacob, <laughs> son, you're a very anxious man, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> a worried man, man with a lot of problems. I want to tell you something. I have a promise for you. The same promise I made to Abraham, the same promise I made to your father Isaac, I make the same promise to you. I, will, I have not forgotten. I will not let it go. I'm going to do what I said. Follow me, son. Trust me, son. Relax, my son. I'm with you. Jacob woke up and he's like, oh my gosh, I thought I was in the middle of nowhere with all my, I couldn't see past myself, my fear and anxiety. I was literally at the house of God. I was at the gateway between heaven and earth. I have a word for you this morning. There's some of you that are tired, worn out, weary and exhausted through the battles of life and you feel like God's a million miles away. I'm telling you, if you go to sleep, you could have a dream. And literally right where you are worrying your little head off, there's a gate and there is a ladder and there are angels ascending and descending and God has a word of promise to you. I haven't forgotten you, son or daughter. I have a word for you. I have a promise for you and I'm going to make it come to pass and there's nothing that you can do to stop me from blessing you. That's his word to you and to me this morning. That's what he did to Jacob through the promises of God. There is power in the word of God. So in closing, two scriptures. So I'm encouraging you, read the Word. Read the Bible. Never neglect your Bible. It is the key to your future. The Word of God is the key to your purpose. It is the key to your fulfillment. It is the most precious gift God has ever given. Romans 10:17. let's read it. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. All these promises, Lord, I need faith so I can activate the promises. Faith comes by hearing. So the more you read it, the more you meditate in it, the more you will grow in faith. And the last one is Proverbs 4, 20 through 22, last scripture. And I like this one because it's in the Old Testament, but it's a promise of health and healing. Let's read it out loud. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. He's talking about the word there. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they, the word of God, are life to those who find them and health. Now, I put a little parentheses there. That word health in Hebrew can mean medicine. That's the Hebrew meaning of the word health. 
What he's saying is if you will listen to my word, incline my word, if you'll devote yourself to my word and believe in the promises of my word, I will bring health. The word of God is like supernatural medicine, medicine that can heal your flesh, your physical body, medicine that can heal your mind, medicine that can heal your heart, medicine that can heal your soul. It's powerful, powerful and mighty. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.